From WBOI Studios in Fort Wayne, this is the I am Immigrant, and I am Ahmed Abdelmajid. I am a Palestinian immigrant who has been donning the title of immigrant for the past 24 years of my life. I am interested in conversations around the immigrant experience, conversation that we seem to be not having or we seem to be not knowing how to have. For this podcast series, I'm hoping that we have conversations with different immigrants about all that it entails to be an immigrant. Hi, everyone. This is uh, Ahmed Abdelmajid, host and creator of The Eye and Immigrant. And I'm Katie Anderson, and I help produce The Eye and Immigrant. And this is the final interview of the season yes. for The Eye and Immigrant. We had so much fun. This was such a rewarding experience. And we're ending this season with a woman named Paula who comes from Mexico. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ahmed, what can you tell us about Paula? Well, I can tell you, first of all, that I'm a little sad, but also excited <laughs> that uh, this is our last episode, but that we've completed a, a season that um, we're hoping was met with a lot of excitement and engagement. Uh, Paula is, is someone we intentionally um, left as the last episode, even though we interviewed her earlier, uh, because of the discussions she went into about family and uh, relationships, which we felt or I felt uh, that it sets the stage for us for our next season, where we are hoping to expand the conversations uh, about the impact of the immigrant experience on the immediate family and friends. One thing I want to mention, too, about this interview, it kind of brings home the fact that so many of these stories are universal um, because, you know, like there were a lot of experiences she had with her parents and being separated from them when she was a little girl. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that kind of eroded some of the trust and a lot of the, the relationship that she had with them. And that that was really hard to rebuild over the years. And Mm -hmm. um, I, I hope that people listening can kind of pull these themes out of these episodes and relate to them because that's what this is all about, sharing in that human experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, yeah, this episode I think was the most emotional for me out of all the episodes. I think I connected on on many different levels and I think uh, our listeners can, uh, like you said, see uh, many of the shared experiences uh, beyond uh, the the, uh, just the immigrant experience and relate to this one. Let's take a listen to your conversation with Paula. In today's episode, we have uh, Paula Avila. Paula, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. We appreciate having you here. Um, we like to start the podcast with asking the question of when I called you to uh, to interview you, you had the choice to say no, yes. but you said yes, and you're here. So we'd like to know why did you agree to be on our show? Well, um, I agreed in part because of what's been happening in our um, political environment in America, um, and then also how I felt um, that immigrants are being treated, because I myself am an immigrant, and I feel that sometimes there's a voice um, that needs to be heard that sometimes we do not hear. Well, we're glad to have you here. So we start with the question that you and I and other immigrants get a lot, which is, uh, where are you from? Where are you from? (laughs) (laughs) And I I find that question interesting. Um, Well, I am from Mexico. Um, I was born in Aguascalientes, and I came here when I was a child, um, about eight years old. Eight years old. And have you lived in Indiana your whole life? My whole life, yes. In Fort Wayne? In Fort Wayne, yes. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, You came at Eight years of age, so yes. obviously you you didn't make the choice. Your parents made the choice to move here, right? Um, what was the uh, I mean? What was the reasoning behind it? Why did they choose to leave home and? So that question, I find it interesting. Um, I never asked my parents specifically why they chose to leave. Um, I'm sure they had the reasons, but when you ask an immigrant, "Why did you come here?" I always feel like. That's kind of a question that's never asked to someone that you would say, why were you born here? Okay. <laughs> or why are you born? Yeah. Um, that's a question you just don't ask. So when I get asked that question, I think about it. It's like, well, I am here because my parents brought me. And 
part of the reason is that I don't ask my parents is because I, when I first were brought here by them, my parents were strangers. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I never felt that I could build that relationship with them to ask, why did we come here? And I, I don't mean to get personal, but can you elaborate a little more? And yeah. what do you mean by your parents were strangers? So when um, my parents left me when I was four years old, they also left a two-year-old and a, just a recent three-month-old baby. I see. So um, I believe, and just kind of hearing from the stories, that my father had a job opportunity in the States. Mm -hmm. And so he went and my mother followed. And while a lot of people had criticized her for leaving her children behind, um, she knew that she needed to go. And um, I never questioned her, her rationale or my father's. So they left me at age four. And by then, there was four years distance where I mm -hmm. did not hear from my parents. So I believe on the day that I was told that my mother was coming back to get me, I was very angry and upset in that I didn't want to leave and I didn't know who she was. So the day she came, it's like, oh, here's your mother. I saw her. I didn't recognize who she was. And then I hid under the bed. <laughs> I okay. ran from her and hid under the bed. Yeah, that's uh, must have been tough. It was tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you've come to the States at age eight, you said, at and eight. you've you've lived here your uh entire life yes. in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So it, especially with the with the backdrop of your personal story, do you feel that you identify more as a Mexican or as an American or how do you identify yourself? Um, that has been a question that since I was eight years old or since I started kindergarten here in Fort Wayne, that I always wanted to know how I identified myself. I really didn't know who I was mm -hmm. or you know, um, anything about being Mexican. <laughs> I think I was actually told by my classmates that, oh, you're Mexican. And I'm like, mm. oh, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, so what does it mean to be Mexican or being told um, that you're this or that? Um, I think a lot of it was more focused on what the color of my skin was, mm -hmm. how I stood out, how different I was. And part of me just didn't want to be any different from everybody else and understandably mm -hmm. as any child would want to fit in with with the rest of the crowd so is it safe to assume that at the time you went to school there weren't a lot of Mexicans or Latinos Latinas around so actually they um, there was a program that was um, kind of an immersion program where they would take um, immigrants because at the time when I came in the Bosnians were coming the Vietnamese were coming to Fort Wayne and Mexicans were trying to decide whether um, Reagan was trying to decide whether we give them legal status or not mm -hmm. So, um, and then the Koreans were also coming. So when we came to Fort Wayne, which we know that Fort Wayne is a hub for many immigrants or refugees, Catholic Charities gave my mom a school where we can all attend to. So they put us all together. Okay. So we were mixed amongst all of the other students, huh, okay. but then we were also grouped together as immigrants in classrooms to teach us English. I see. Okay, mm -hmm. so there was a bridging program to help there was a bridging program. get the language mm -hmm. proficiency down. Very, very nice. Mm -hmm. A few years later, do you still get the same question or reaction? Actually, no, because then after I learned English, it's like, okay, you, you can speak English well enough. You can go back to your home district where your school is. And I ended up being moved from uh, a diverse community to a only... Um, where I was the only Mexican. <laughs> so there the kids kind of, you know, did point out the color of your skin, did point out um, little differences. But at the end, as we grew up and we became friends and all those differences disappeared. So mm -hmm. I felt like I fit in. Um, yeah, I didn't have as many friends as most people would have. And um, but at the same time, also, um, I was fitting in with them. At least I thought I was. <laughs> I thought I was fitting in. But now as, as I'm more established, I've gone to school, gone to college, and I met my friends, a lot of them get confused as to what I am. Mm -hmm. I get asked like, well, are, you're not Latina. You're not this because you don't have an accent. You don't have children. You know, So they're like stereotyping me mm -hmm. of who they think a Latina should be. Um, so... The, the class that you were attending as a, as a child and grouped mm -hmm. with other immigrants, was the focus then to only learn English language or were you being caught up with first grade curriculum? Mm -hmm. And how did that um, 
you know, make you feel? Did you feel like you're in, did you feel that you fit in with the larger community around you mm-hmm. or were you just grouped in this group? And I felt like I was grouped in the group. Um, so part of, and I understood why they were doing it back then um, because a lot of the classes like math and science were taught with everyone in the group, but then they pulled us off to the side. So you, it, I felt like we were being separated. Oh, here are all these people who don't speak English, and we're going to go teach them English. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was nice because we saw friendships in that way. But then I also felt like in the playground, a lot of us were kind of bickering, pointing out our differences. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, your eyes are like this, or you're, you're, you have a big nose. Is you know, what are you? You know, and mm-hmm. I think part of that is. Uh, already being isolated or pulled apart you're kind of noticing your own differences so now you're forced to notice yeah it's highlighted Mm -hmm. for me so now i'm noticing the differences of others in Mm -hmm. terms of color so that all became something that i was cognizant of and it was just kind of strange in a way so but obviously or you said that you understood the need for Mm -hmm. doing that to you know to help the group learn english and get to speed with the rest of the uh, students in the grade, right? Right. And you felt that the differences were highlighted and you guys were asking each other. Did you feel that that experience uh, helped you tell you sh- your story more about where you're from? Or no, was it a negative or a positive, I guess? I something? couldn't say at the moment whether it was negative or positive. I just know that it was just um, an experience that I was seeing. I mean, there was a little bit of like... I mean, I, I was able to develop friendships, and I felt comfortable with other people that mm-hmm. were different than myself. Have you gone back to Mexico or to your hometown? I have, but I've I never felt like it was a hometown again um, mm-hmm. since I left. A lot of things have changed, so, um, and I haven't been since um, as an adult. So I don't have the desire nor the need to go back. Yeah, I nice just don't man. have the desire. With your parents and when you joined your family mm-hmm. here and growing up, did you feel that there was a uh, a strong sense from your parents that they wanted to instill Mexican values and culture in you? Or how did you uh, relate to their upbringing experiences? Right. So I don't think that my parents really enforced the Mexican culture. Um, they wanted us to basically fit in. So they allowed us to be um, as Americanized as we could be. They really encouraged that we spoke English at home as opposed mm-hmm. to Spanish. They, uh, I think as far as the heritage, it was in the foods that we ate, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, where the, the cultural basically showed up, it was in the foods that we ate. But as far as celebrations of events and festivities, it was none of that. Um, I think I a see. lot of it had to do with because where we lived um, and grew up, we didn't want to stand out because we were the only Latinos in mm. the area. But now, as an adult, I mean, you were just recently mm-hmm. the president of the Hispanic uh, Leadership I, Co- I'm Coalition. I still am the president. You still yes, are? Yeah. So why going back to, I mean, you speak Spanish, mm-hmm. am I understanding? You speak Spanish fluently. You're involved in the Hispanic community in mm-hmm. Fort Wayne. And can you tell us a little bit about your involvement mm-hmm. there and maybe more of the reason why did you feel Go like back. you wanted to so, um, be active in that? I think it's just uh, as I growing up, I'm trying to find my own identity um, and then getting to the point where I'm comfortable being Latina. But at some point when I was at St. Francis, I had a group of students that were also Latinos. And um, I was also involved with trying to bring on the multicultural diversity at St. Francis. So being asked to do some of these things, I had to go back and reevaluate my own cultural um, identity. And I saw a group of Latinas that were um, in need of help in getting education. And I remember how I felt going through the educational system where I felt alone, isolated, and not being able to find the resources that I needed to help me financially and so forth. And I seen that in them and then their, their struggles. Now, I know that 
part of the way that my family ended up struggling with the American culture, I saw this, I saw myself in them and I was like, well, I think I need to help mm-hmm. in some way. And there was just, a, I, I identified with them a lot and just seeing how they were struggling made me want to help them. Can you tell us a little bit about that struggle I mean, from the perspective of as a child, seeing your parents, what is it that they struggled with? And then as a as a college student, what did you see other immigrant students, right. you know, struggle with? Um, so it's no secret that a lot of um, Latinos do struggle financially in terms of financial planning. So going to school and being able to plan out an education for yourself becomes difficult. I think some of that has caused stress on my parents themselves mm. in terms of we have to pay for college, we need to do this. And then having my dad's perspective in terms of the way the the male, Latino male runs the household mm-hmm. versus the way the Latina mom runs the household. There was always that, um, th- there was a lot of fighting that happened in the, in the family. So it always made me feel guilty of going to college and just kind of trying to get myself through. But I think there's a lot of struggles in terms of finding a job. My father keeping losing his jobs or because either A, he was Latino, he had an accent, was he able to be able to cope with the environment that he was in. So I think it's the coping mechanisms that mm-hmm. my both parents have chosen to cope with the situation or the reality that they were living. And then my own coping mechanisms as to what I had to deal with in terms of fitting into the culture. So I had to basically say I'm not Mexican. I don't eat beans. I don't eat um, <laughs> cactus. I, I want to eat macaroni and cheese like everybody else. I want to be able to fit in. Mm-hmm. So that identity and at the same time, you also want to maintain your cultural heritage where your parents are like, no, a, a Latina woman never goes out alone. She mm-hmm. always has to have her, her friends. She cannot date. She cannot do these things. And as my friends in high school were dating or going to prom, I was not allowed to do any of that stuff. So there was a lot of things culturally that the American culture was um, teaching us and then that the my parents were trying to keep. And well. so you did you feel that you were, I mean... It's it's not easy growing up mm. in a household where they're trying to adjust to the American right. lifestyle and then you trying to figure out who you are mm-hmm. in, in that upbringing. Yeah. So I felt like I was walking a fine line between mm-hmm. right and wrong, left uh, Hispanic or American, and just trying to always make that decision and then just seeing how others around me were behaving towards that action. So I just felt like I was walking a path that was so narrow and so straight that it was difficult to even breathe or move. I see. Mm-hmm. And I, I describe it as a bipolarism. So mm-hmm. at home, I'm Latina and at, at school, I'm as American as I can be. Mm-hmm. And then um, trying to separate those two and keep them separate. But at some point, as an adult, you say enough is enough. I'm going to be who I am, regardless of what people think or say. When you joined your family, mm-hmm. you and your siblings joined your family in the United States, uh, was there... That, that period, I mean, you said when you when you heard your mom is coming to pick you up, mm-hmm. you were angry and you hid under the bed mm-hmm. and for understandable reasons. Did you feel uh, that that went away rather quick once you were all joined together or was there still that tension? There's still that tension. I don't think that ever goes away. Mm. I mean, I, I remember as we first got to Fort Wayne, Indiana, I already had a brother that was four years old. And he was excited to have new siblings. So he actually thought he was the oldest, where um, my mom was trying to get me to come and embrace her. And I just wouldn't go and I wouldn't go. And she actually picked me up and forced me to Mm -hmm. sit on her lap. And then I gave her a hug and, and she hugged me and I just didn't want to be hugged by her. And I ended up listening to her heartbeat. And at that moment, I realized, okay, I think I'm gonna be okay here. And it's almost as if I was recalling of her as a child, like an unborn child, a memory of an unborn Mm -hmm. having to hear the heartbeat. So that kind of soothed me. But then the building of the relationship, I don't tell my mom everything. I still don't tell my mom everything. Um, My father, I still, I mean, I talk to him once in a while because our relationship has been broken in terms of my mother and father and just trying to rebuild it. I mean, it's a constant. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating and uh, we're hoping in future seasons we can focus on family dynamics Mm -hmm. of immigrants. It's because what you hear from 
uh, unfortunately, a lot of people is that, oh, you just came here and, you know, money grows on tree and everything is easy. And here's a, a sacrifice. I mean, if, if I may, your parents sacrificed a lot by moving here for, mm-hmm. I mean, sacrificing the relationship with their children for a few years, but it's in order to secure a better life, mm-hmm. um, you know, compared to what they've had in, the, in, in, uh, in their hometowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's not a it's not a simple decision that I'm oh I'm just gonna pack up my bags and move to the U S and find a job the next day and everything's gonna be fine and dandy right right Is, do you feel that as you get older you're understanding the sacrifice your parents made are you more forgiving of the choices they made for you when you were younger um, I think I wasn't too long ago that I decided that at some point I was living the consequences of the actions of others for way too long and that allowed me to be an angry individual inside mm. and until I chose to say you know enough now it's time to live my own consequences and my own choices that I became more aware of you know my mom came here she she left her children and that must have been a difficult time for her I bet. and so I couldn't judge her anymore on that thing or I couldn't be angry at my father for choosing to become an alcoholic in the sense of what he wanted to do or the way he coped with dealing with the problems do you mm-hmm. see that that anger do you see it with other immigrant youth for example anger not mm-hmm. at the world or others mm-hmm. but anger at the situation that they find themselves in and um, I think sometimes because, and it's it's hard to say because I think we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just choose not to, we just choose to deal it within our own family, our own system and our own dynamic, but we don't choose to talk about it to others because it's one of those things that we just don't want to talk about. So you, you don't mm-hmm. talk with other Latina friends? Until I started to reach back to the community, then okay. that's what I'm starting to see um, in, in terms of talking to them about the silence or the shell that we have to build around ourselves, mm-hmm. um, um, the belief that they deserve rights yeah. <laughs> as human beings, um, that they're opening their eyes and seeing that, yeah, you know, I felt the same way. So as It's I, almost self-preservation, It right? is almost self-preservation right. in that, that they build the shelf or wanted to stay under the radar and not talk about it. I noticed as you speak, mm-hmm. um, you refer to your community as Latinos, Latinas. Mm-hmm. You don't say Mexicans. No. <laughs> and can you tell us a little bit about the choice in going with a much larger group than mm-hmm. speaking just solely about Mexicans or Mexicans. helping the Mexican community? Yes. Um, well, first of all, I, I think that I identify myself as a Latina more so than a Mexican um, in that I am not, I had. I wasn't raised in Mexico, uh-huh. <laughs> right? Yeah, and so enough. I am an American. So I, and then as I'm re- researching the historical context of where I came from, the Mexican American wars, the, the immigrants from Europe and all of that stuff, I see a larger group that is similar to myself that speaks Spanish mm-hmm. and they need help. And while many immigrants are, there's not as many Mexicans coming into the country anymore. There's more um, South Americans who also I'm seeing, you know, these these people are indigenous in some form or way or another, and they speak Spanish, but they also speak a language that sometimes I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that sense, I, I just see, you know, an aunt or I remember back in Mexico seeing maybe an Indian woman in their dressing style or whatever that is. So there's just this memory that I can't seem to shake off. So as I see them, I identify with them as well. And you said about um, college that you you put yourself through college, mm-hmm. working and studying and mm-hmm. and uh, getting. Can can you tell us what degree do you have? Mm-hmm. So I um, I have a degree in chemistry and biology. I did major in both sciences. Okay, and and fantastic. And I know that you work at a, an academic institution here in Fort mm-hmm. Wayne. Where where is that drive coming from? Because you know it's very easy to say you know I'm just going to finish high school and go work right. something and you know help support the family, which we see a lot of immigrants. You know um, that choice being made for them. Right. But you chose to go and get well. Actually, um, no, that's not true. <laughs> okay. Um, so a lot of it was um, people telling me 
what I needed to do. Like, for example, you need to go to college. You need to do these things. Even as I applied, I thought, oh, I could probably just go to college for two years. And my mom's friends like, no, you need to go for a four year. And so telling me what I need to do and not knowing what I need to do, or it's just basically, I don't know what I want to do or who I am. And I'm being told that these are the things that I need to do to, to By who? Succeed. Who was telling you? What? Just friendships. So my mom's friend um, that she worked at a restaurant, she actually had a job at GM and it was a part-time job. And she was like, her name was Miriam. And she came and it's like, she needs to go to college. So it was help from outsiders that were trying to help my family succeed in America. Mm-hmm. Even, um, who is it? Zoli's. Uh, my mom used to work for Zoli's downtown on Broadway for a long, long time. And he um, he would say, well, we will give you a job here, mm-hmm. <laughs> help you out. And then he didn't have to do that. But he basically told my mom one thing, and that's one immigrant needs to help another immigrant. Mm-hmm. And he himself was an immigrant from Hungary. So do you see yourself in a position to help the Latino community, obviously, but also the broader immigrant community? Yes. Even um, the undocumented, I feel like there's a voice that needs to be said because, for one, my parents did come in here undocumented, but they were able to find the pathway to citizenship Mm -hmm. by doing the Reagan amnesty in 1986. Mm -hmm. What I'm seeing with the new Latino community um, is the group called DACA, who are entering college, and they have no pathway to citizenship. Mm -hmm. They're not being granted the same amnesty or whatever you want to call it. Um, They're just kind of in limbo right now, having somebody else to decide what their future needs to be. Yeah. It's it's a tough situation mm-hmm. and it's a very heated conversation on the national mm-hmm. level. Do you feel that the undocumented group and the, the help that we can give them in the sense, I'm trying to figure out how to ask that question. Hold on. Because <laughs> I don't want to come across. Okay, so I spitballing off the top of my head. But no, that's going to come across very offensive because I wanted to say, like, do you feel that the undocumented group, as small as they may be, they're overshadowing the entire immigrant community? But I don't want to put it in those terms. You know what I'm saying? Like the focus right now. So um, undocumented group in general, DACA, it seems to be overshadowing when it's actually a smaller subset of the actual immigrant population. Mm -hmm. Right. So in in Indiana alone, um, we have a was it 5% immigrant population out of that 5%, only 2% of them are undocumented yeah. in Fort Wayne. So yeah. it's a really small group that is undocumented. It is. And actually, I think from what I've read and seen from different reports is that you see it in some communities more than others. I think Indiana mm-hmm. is even on the higher end with the 2% of the 5% mm-hmm. because of the farming industry, mm-hmm. uh, where it's estimated upwards of 50% of mm-hmm. Uh, working hands in, in the farms uh, are undocumented. Mm-hmm. So there are industries that are built on the backs of, uh, of those folks that they come in even if the way that they entered the United States is not um, the correct way mm-hmm. or the, the, the legal way, but they're not coming in. I mean, I guess they're coming in and they're working and they're contributing to a community. So mm-hmm. I guess I'm, I'm with you in support of mm-hmm. finding a way to support their path to citizenship, mm-hmm. give them the opportunity to... Uh... Yeah, I, I just don't believe that um, someone should be able to take advantage of a group that um, it chooses to work and chooses to do... Um, you know, they're sending money uh, um, overseas, or sorry, not overseas, they're sending money over to their home countries to support a family there. I think right now what we're seeing is with the immigrant population is that you had a lot of the men that were migrant workers working in in the state of Indiana and traveling from one city to the next. And then you also have now the mothers following their husbands or, or, or um families over here and bringing their children. Um, but yeah, they're they're working, they're contributing, they're paying taxes. They have to pay, t- I think it's, it's Obama had decided that all, um, the administration of Obama had made it such that all immigrants, whether your whatever your status, had to pay taxes. Mm-hmm. And so they're contributing to this, the federal tax bracket by paying uh, federal taxes and state taxes. So they cannot collect um, the Social Security benefits. 
they can't collect any of that because yeah. all they're doing is paying into a system and then you have to be a U.S. citizen. Yeah. Even as a resident, I believe you can only um, extract one third of your taxes brackets yeah. that you pay. So, I mean, there's a lot of untruths being peddled out there mm -hmm. about immigrants. Um, what is the one, if you can put it mm -hmm. down to one, that is uh, most hurtful to you personally, or you think that is the, you know, that's just so contrary to the truth? Mm -hmm. So that all Mexicans are illegal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that uh, it's basically the Mexican population that is contributing to the undocumented population. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think we see a surge in immigrants all over. I mean, and I can kind of relate to an experience. Um, I was going to Walgreens and and I've been in Fort Wayne, Indiana pretty much for my whole life. So uh, when I walked into Walgreens, I see a Muslim wearing a hijab mm -hmm. and at That's the moment yeah. <laughs> right at the moment i'm like whoa there's different people but at the same time i was like okay this is this is i felt this experience like at the, i i understood what a uh, uh, a white american would feel when they see a person of color and mm -hmm. then now you're thinking oh my gosh they're everywhere <laughs> and not saying that there's anything wrong with muslims yeah. actually yeah. um but it's just one of those things that reality that you're starting to notice a new surge of immigrants coming in mm -hmm. and and whether and what you take from that personal feeling, whether you're going to feel anger, whatever, you make a choice at that moment when you mm -hmm. experience that moment when you realize, okay, there's people that are I haven't seen before in this community. Who are they? What are they doing here? So all of that came into mind. It's like, okay, I understood what the other side was feeling about immigrants. You know, and. I think that's the reason why, you know, I started this podcast and the reason why I'm having these conversations with, with people from all walks of life is that it seems like as a community, as a society, we've lost the sense of curiosity. You know, if, if you see someone who's different mm -hmm. than you, why has a reaction uh, turned into more of, well, who are they and why are they mm -hmm. here and why are they, mm -hmm. you know, it almost comes from, from that negative. And I'm not saying that everybody mm -hmm. does that. And, and it's probably a lot more amplified on in media outlets and uh, you know, because fear sells and we know right. that, but it's, it's almost, you know, the, the default reaction is to come at it from a sense of concern and worry. They, mm -hmm. they look different than mm -hmm. me. Why are they that way? And there's that suspicion as mm -hmm. opposed to curiosity. Right. So, you know, I want to have these conversations and I want to hopefully ignite that sense of curiosity of... So I think a lot of that comes from where America has basically isolated themselves in terms of cultural. We have a Chinatown, Little Italy, we have Mexican town, we have all of these little hubs of culture, cultures and no one's really willing to cross all of them from one area to the other. And um, I myself, I found it difficult because I fell in love with a Muslim man. <laughs> yeah. And being Catholic uh, definitely created a lot of tension. And so we've been struggling and trying to make our love story um, come out. And, and we're still working on it because his religion, my religion, his culture, my culture, it's created this... Um, it, it's been very difficult. Mm -hmm. And so if we're struggling as two Americans that came here and now we found each other, but we can't be each other because of our cultural barriers, our religion, whatever that is that we've built up, um, it makes it hard. Um, mm -hmm. So in a sense, I can see why, because we want to stay within our hubs that we've created, that it makes it difficult for us to accept others. I see. So it's rather than the give and take of interacting mm -hmm. with other cultures of taking the best from the culture that mm -hmm. you grew up in and the best of the culture that you're getting a culture mm -hmm. to or living in, we tend to, and, and you know, I'll speak from my immigrant mm -hmm. experience and my early years uh, coming to the U.S., of defaulting to, no, this is how I grew up. Mm -hmm. And what I'm seeing here is, in in a sense, threatening my authenticity mm -hmm. or thre mm -hmm. threatening my foundation. And mm -hmm. um, I guess if we fall into that mm -hmm. thought process, then we, we lose out on gaining so much from right. learning from each other. Right. And I think even going, and, and for me, I'm a unique individual. Again, that part of being the only one, the uniqueness has allowed me to be comfortable and always being that only person in that 
cultural. Um, and finding myself where I had to learn a lot about what Mexico, who Mexico was, what were the immigrants that were going when immigration mm -hmm. from Europe was heavily, you know, the Lebanese, the Palestinians and the Syrians all moved to Mexico. They have good roots in South America in so, yeah, yeah. and Venezuela. So I think I think in 9-11, um, there was a story where there was a Muslim woman who was at the store and there were these uh, Latino males basically saying, oh, here's a terrorist. Mm -hmm. The woman turns around and they were talking in Spanish. And the woman turns around and it's like, cállese la boca, yo lo entiendo todo perfecto bien. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were like, oh my gosh, she's, they didn't realize that she was also from Venezuela who could speak Spanish mm -hmm. as well too. So yeah, so I think it's just one having us I, finding our own racial tensions that we have within ourselves mm -hmm. and then breaking those apart. And that's that's a very good point because mm -hmm. I think as within whatever community we identify with, so, you know, I'm Muslim, I'm Palestinian, I'm Arab, I'm an immigrant, and within each group or category, mm -hmm. there is that mm -hmm. tension that you talk about of, you know, trying to to grow as an individual within that community, mm -hmm. but then you might be viewed differently if you're accepted too much of the American culture, mm -hmm. let's say, or if you rejected some of the things that you grew up with as, mm -hmm. you know, I don't see this fitting in my life. And then, so there's that, not infighting, but there's that tension, tension. within the group mm -hmm. that... Yeah, I mean, I remember when I had my Latina friends, they're like, oh, she just, she's just too, um, what is it? They were criticizing me for being too um, good or perfect or mm. snob, uh, whatever it is the choice was that they, the word that they chose to label me as, you know. And I think I had one friend who said, you know, you need to marry a Latino male to keep the, <laughs> to keep the culture, <laughs> the tradition. And I'm, I'm like, I, I really don't want to. Yeah. You know? I grew up a lot around. Latino males. I don't think I want to marry one of them. There's a, I don't know if this will make it on the air or not. Is this <laughs> politically correct or not? But, <laughs> but there's a term that that you know you, you call someone a coconut brown on the outside, mm -hmm. white on the inside. <laughs> We're not gonna air that one. I've been but, called that I'm just a white girl. <laughs> yeah. I, so yeah. So, but I, I want to explore that a little bit more, unless you have any follow-up questions, because. Yeah. You know, and we, we see that um, as, as we talked about that tension from within the group. Mm -hmm. and So I bet it's exhausting. It is. I, I don't know who I want to be. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be. And I it's just tiring. I at, at the end of the day, I feel like I've been trying to be so perfect in America and and now as a, as as a perfect representation of latinas or as a perfect american or what do you mean a Where's... perfect american i'm okay. trying to be a perfect american what is a perfect american <laughs> i have no idea but i'm trying to strive to that and whatever that is um yeah, perfection is tiring. Um, I, I, you know, I'm always trying to be early on time for a meeting. And then actually, I had to learn, this is kind of awkward, but I had to learn a little bit more about my culture in a class that uh, that was at Manchester that talked about, it was a cultural awareness uh -huh. of, of Latinos in, in Spanish. And so I'm sitting there, oh yeah, that makes sense. No wonder time is fluid in the Latino <laughs> culture. <laughs> well, we have what's called AST, Arab Standard Time. Mm -hmm. In which you're at least an hour late. And I always <laughs> defy that by being a good 10 or 15. So they developed Ahmed's standard time where right. there's an invitation to a party. Party, they say, you know, starts at 5, Ahmed come at 6.30. Mm -hmm. And I'm still the first one there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, it, it, the anxiety I would get from going to school because I needed to be on time. And exactly. if I was late, it was it's just anxious, like just anxiety I didn't need to have. Yeah, and, and it's it sounds silly to to a lot out there but it's really it's, it's palpable and maybe i mean again you came at the age of eight i came at the age of 18 um but we're both aware of it mm -hmm. in, a, in a very palpable palpable sense in that and and for me personally especially after september 11 that mm -hmm. every single action that i take statement that i make is being viewed under a certain lens of what does he mean by that Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, or I'm a representative of the entirety of the Muslim community, all mm -hmm. 1.7 billion of them, or I'm, I'm a representative of the entire Arab or Middle East or, uh, you know, and it's, 
it is exhausting, mm-hmm. um, but you're not burnt out. You're <laughs> back in your community and you're helping. So can you identify a moment yes. in time in which you've made that shift in your thought process? Because mm-hmm. it's very easy to say, you know what, <laughs> the heck with all this. You know, I am what I am. Mm-hmm. just going to go do my own thing and not worry about it. But you're putting sure. yourself out there. Right. So I think in 2008, um, I did go through a spiritual awareness. And um, that awareness ended up, it take it took me all the way to Rome. And my first time mm. being out of the country, like outside of Mexico or anything like that, but my first time being out of the United States for a really long time. And I uh, stood in Rome. And as I stood in Rome and I saw Pope Francis talk about uh, his sermon, and it was given in eight different languages that was including in Arabic. Hmm. And I stood there and I said, you know what? Because at that time I was contemplating whether I wanted to convert to Islam or be a, continue as being a Catholic. And I sat there with him speaking all of these languages, and I realized that there's a misunderstanding about Islam that people are seeing, and I am where I need to be as a Catholic individual. And learning all the different languages and the diversity, I felt at home in Rome. Mm. And coming back with the, God has a plan for me, and I don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. I know that he's asked me to step up to speak when I've never wanted to. But every day, it's like, what do I need to do? And somehow an opportunity presents itself and I don't want to do it, but something inside of me internally says, no, you have to do this because if you don't do this, who will? And Mm -hmm. it gives me that energy to keep moving and going forward. I'm not saying I don't get tired, but at the end of the day, on a Sunday, I go home and rest. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then, and sometimes I will pull uh, a Bible verse or I read about it, but then I will also pull the Quran (laughs) and and read some of the, the scriptures and find where we are the same and focus on those. And then just say, this is what I need to do. Um, because I cannot let other people talk bad about people who they, they do not know. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just something inside of me that. But there's a there's a spiritual sense. There's a spiritual, spiritual sense, connection. With it. Spiritual connection that mm-hmm. keeps me going. Now I'm not saying I'm perfect Catholic, <laughs> nor do I want to become a Muslim. I just know that I do need to focus on faith and God. And I mean, religion is one of those big dividers in general. Mm-hmm. So if we can't bridge um, religion itself, then how are we going to br- bridge the rest of humanity? I don't know if this question will make sense, but um, do you feel that the way that you, well, no, you were too young, because I was going to ask about your practice of Catholicism. Go ahead. Okay. You can ask, yeah. Because we asked Irene Paxi, I don't know if you know Irene, she grew up in Italy, and so mm-hmm. we asked about faith in Italy mm-hmm. versus faith here. Uh, so you mentioned that you're Catholic, mm-hmm. and you know we have a lot of Catholic churches in Northeast Indiana or in, in uh, the U.S. in general. Do you feel that your sense of Catholicism as a Latina Catholic different than an American Catholic? Is there differences between the two? Excuse my ignorance. I I'm do, just, no, no, no. Because no, I, I knew <laughs> as, as a Muslim growing up in a predominantly Muslim country and coming here, I understood my faith a lot. Mm-hmm. More I see it practiced different differently, not mm-hmm. fundamentally differently, but different than what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And it helped me understand and become a better, in in my personal journey, a better Muslim. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering as, as a Catholic from a Latino right. background. So I remember Catholicism when I was in Mexico and Catholicism when I was in the States. And okay. Catholicism has been a big part of my uh, forming, formation. I remember seeing the churches, all of the the, the prayers, and the Sunday was a priority um, mm-hmm. in in Mexico. My grandma saying all of that stuff. I mean, they really enforced religion. When I came to the states, um, one of the first places that we felt at home was also going to church every Sunday, and then seeing scripture in English and Spanish. Okay, and so that helped me kind of uh, learned English by reading the scripture. And then two, um, we did have, we, I did go to Catholic Mass and at St. Paul's Catholic Church when it was um, still in, in the center of the, the city before it was torn down. 
But Catholicism has always shaped me as to who I am. Now, I, I, towards it as, as an adult, I was starting to go to St. Elizabeth's and St. Um, where more white people were going, um, St. Joseph's. So I think it became stale okay. <laughs> as, 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 as I got to the American <clears throat> version of Catholicism versus the Latino version of Catholicism. And that staleness lo- allowed me to be sleepy <laughs> in, in my religion and faith. And then I meet this Muslim man who's challenging all my thoughts and beliefs of Catholicism. And I'm like, whoa, 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 (laughs) I need to learn my religion again. Um, So yeah, I think that it is, there is a difference in the way that we celebrate, that we sing, we play music, Mm. that I see some people are like, oh, why do they have to be so no, uh, so loud? And why do all these instrument pieces have to be played? It it has to be just some sort of pristine form or ritual, which it doesn't have to be, but I see. And, 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 you know, I asked the question, not that one is better than the other mm-hmm. or an experience is better than the other, but it's, again, from my personal experience, going to a mosque in mm-hmm. where I grew up in a predominantly Muslim country versus going to a mosque here, it, you know, although the prayers are the same mm-hmm. and a lot of the fundamental things are the same, it's still a different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it's just interesting to me to see how different faiths, uh, whether they experience the same thing that I've experienced uh, or not. Mm. So we're not married. Um, so uh, we actually, he's invited me to go to a mosque. So I've been to a mosque twice. One was on my own. But the first time I went to a mosque, um, yeah, that was an interesting experience. Yeah, it's so, completely different than uh, church. <laughs> he, uh, and then he ended up taking me, not because he's not really from around the area here. Mm-hmm. So he ended up taking me to... And and I hear it from different Muslims that I know that, oh, you went to the mosque that's run by a lot of um, Saudi Arabians or whatever it is. I don't even, I don't even remember what group it was. <laughs> but in that uh-huh. sense, she's like, oh, you, you need to go to this one. So I felt like I it was just an, a strange experience. I got in and he's like, you can't wear this. You got you to gotta take off your nail polish. You got to do all of this stuff. And, mm-hmm. and at the end... I felt like I was just kind of shoved into a room and it's like, okay, now what do I do? There's no help. And then I didn't really see a whole lot of women and I don't know what it was. I was just confused. Um, But I think it was, I think he just wanted me to experience and I did get to listen some of that. And I was like, okay, that was, that was different, but I can try to go on my own. And I think in some of the students were wanting to know what a mosque was. And I was like, well, I guess I could take you. I mean, you really don't know any Muslims and you do need to experience outside of your cultural boundaries. So I took them to another mosque that was completely different, more diverse. And um, we had women there tell us a little bit about the religion and so forth. So it was an it was a much better experience. Were like college students that you there were college students that um, they were their job was to go and experience other faiths and visit a temple from some sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you ever do that, let me know because I do these interfaith talks. And <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. Now I think a lot of times we relate faith and religion to a structure, and mm-hmm. we think that once you walk through the doors of the mosque or the synagogue or the church, that there's going to be that. Oh, and you're going to be overcome with the sense of spirituality that without any proper prep or understanding, which, you know, in a way ties to our cultural discussions, Mm -hmm. too. You know, if uh, if all of a sudden, you know, you 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 grew up in an area that's predominantly one thing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether predominantly white or even a predominantly black community or predominantly Latino, and all of a sudden there is, quote unquote, different, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of questions that come in. It's mm-hmm. we're not going to develop that understanding of, oh, yeah, OK, we're good. You know, there's just another person that I've never seen before. And yeah, we're right. fine. So there's I think where 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 we we're lacking is in the sense of how do we approach the conversation mm-hmm. about differences, mm-hmm. whether faith differences, race differences, mm-hmm. cultural, immigrant, uh, grown up. What is your advice to folks out there who might be listening to this show about how to have the conversation? We keep saying on this show that one of the the main reasons for having these conversations is that we seem to have lost the ability to ask the question without sounding offensive mm-hmm. or worrying about sounding offensive and lost the ability to answer the question without 
coming across as defensive. <laughs> yeah, so I think the question, where do you come from, right? Like, I notice a, a, an accent, you know, mm -hmm. and I think I, there's an innocence in that question, but then the person that's being asked is probably being asked a thousand times. Yeah. And so they get frustrated with that notion. But I think it's also just keep asking in a sense until you find the answer and you're not going to get one perspective that is the correct perspective. You have to keep reaching out to different people um, to get that perspective because you can't look at the world under one microscope lens. You mm -hmm. have to kind of see um, what everybody else's experience is. I mean, an experience is defined by how am I feeling at the moment that I'm going to experience that. Mm -hmm. So if I already woke up in a negative attitude, I'm gonna end up with a negative <laughs> experience. So be aware of yourself. As be you. aware of yourself. Um, and well, then just, <clears throat> I mean, there's no, uh, go to the different events. I mean, Fort Wayne is, is try, trying to build up the festivals. Yeah. There's very multicultural. So go out there to the different events. And yeah. I think what we, sometimes is is that when a stranger just comes out of the blue and asks hey so what's that thing you're wearing around mm -hmm. your head or you know oh you you i noticed you're talking to your kids in a different language what's that it's like dude i don't owe you an explanation every single time just because it's something that you're not familiar with mm -hmm. right but i'm happy to have the conversation with anybody at, you know in in um in a more yeah cultural event or mm -hmm. people that I know or people that I at least have some relationship mm -hmm. with. You that's know? important relationship. So having that one-on-one -on -one with the person that you know, that's like, you know, I don't really know who that is. I know I work with them, but mm -hmm. can I get to know them better? And then just having an understanding of who they are, because it brings back a humanity to the, to the different mm -hmm. cultures. So we're not saying to sh shy away from the conversation or not ask the questions, but it's being cognizant of when the question is being asked, who you're asking the question mm -hmm. of, how you're asking it. Again, going up to a person randomly <laughs> in the street and they're like, oh yeah, you guys are all angry. Well, <laughs> you know what? I'm trying to wrangle my four-year-old who is just screaming and kicking in the mm -hmm. middle of the <laughs> grocery store. And you're asking me about what language are you yelling at your mm -hmm. child at? We're not gonna have a very conducive no. conversation. Um, or or being asked like how did how did they know to ask you um uh, a question in spanish <laughs> like how did they know that and i was yeah. like well they asked first of all if i could speak spanish uh -huh. and then i said yes and then i continued the conversation with them in spanish <laughs> so <laughs> very good um do you have any final thoughts or thing you want to share with uh folks uh, about whether you're personal or the whole immigrant experience? Um, I think if we as Americans can experience the immigration experience by go visiting restaurants that are different, I mean, food brings us together. And mm -hmm. I always like to say this, you know, the Mexican taco, everybody loves tacos. <laughs> and it's the not Taco Bell. <laughs> it's not Taco Bell, but, it, but the Mexican taco actually came from Lebanon. <laughs> it's like- I did not know that actually. <laughs> if you look at the food history of where the Mexican taco originated from, the Lebanon that ended up in Mexico uh -huh. brought the, the, the shawarma. So they were yeah. able to bring that taco in the sense instead of corn, wheat, you know, what's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, food food does bring us together. So sorry, if you wanted to elaborate a little more on, on your saying, experience the other cultures around you. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I cut you off. Oh, so experience yeah. the other cultures by just, you know, trying out different things, meeting different people. Um, going to events, don't isolate yourself and, and hear the perspective of what's coming out in the media and the news because that kind of narrows it down to one individual that's supposed to represent everybody. The I and Immigrant is a production of WBOI Studios in Fort Wayne and was created by Ahmed Abdelmajid. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and keep these conversations going. You can find us on Facebook or visit theiandimmigrant.com to see additional content and pictures of this season's guests. Today's episode was edited by Michaela Veltum. Thanks for listening. From WBOI, Fort Wayne.